Welcome to Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and host of Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. Stay tuned for a deep dive on motherhood with seasoned mom Kirsten Murray. Kirsten is a mom to three adult children and a grandmother to three, almost four, grands. Not only is Kirsten a mom and grand extraordinaire, but she is also a trust-based relational intervention, or TBRI, practitioner and the executive director at Hope and Healing Jacks. At Hope and Healing Jacks, Kirsten and her team are on a mission to equip parents and caregivers in our community and beyond with the connection and nurturing tools they need to have children feel precious, loved, and safe. As you listen in to Kirsten's experiences as a pioneer in this field, and you hear the passion she brings to this cause, there is no doubt that this is a mission that is sure to succeed. From the minute we met, I have recognized Kirsten as a force, and her energy and optimism are contagious. Listen in and make sure to check out the amazing no-cost resources at Hope and Healing Jack's website, hopeandhealingjacks.org, which is listed in the show notes. Check out this lovely lady next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. Before we start, help Motherhood Feels grow by subscribing to the podcast. Leaving five-star reviews can't hurt either. And if you're interested in supporting more moms and families by bringing Motherhood Feels to your workplace, you can connect with me at motherhoodfeels at gmail.com to learn more. You can follow me on Instagram at motherhoodfeels, all one word, and head over to motherhoodfeels.com to check out my self-paced online course, Motherhood Feels before and even after baby boot camp that walks through evidence-based strategies for healthy coping with all your motherhood feels. Thanks for listening. Hey, Kirsten, thanks for being here. Hey, Jill. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, we'll jump right in. I am uh, 59 years old. I've been married 38 years um, to somebody I met when I was 15. Um, And so we have three grown children and three uh, granddaughters and one more on the way. And they're all scattered about. Um, I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, I'm I'm newish here. And uh, in terms of the other part of my life, I'm the executive director of Hope and Healing Jacks, where we equip adults uh, with what they need so that they can give kids what they need, essentially around healthy development uh, and and secure attachments and trusting relationships. Yeah. And so you've done a lot of great work and I've been fortunate to be on the receiving end of some of your work and some of the trainings that your organization has done. And let me ask you, you obviously are a seasoned mom and grandparent now. So looking back a little bit, could you tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a mom? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up in um, in a family with two bio siblings. And through my years of growing up, we had nine foster siblings as well in the home. So that um, definitely shaped um, uh, shaped my desires to be a mom. And sometimes people say, oh, that sounds like maybe you wouldn't want to be a mom <laughs> when you, when you uh, got to that point. But uh, I was the oldest, and I really did love um, seeing the world through the eyes of other people, but especially kids. And we had a very large extended family. My dad was the youngest of nine, my mom the oldest of five, and I was older in the pack and so had a lot of baby time and just really loved it. Um, I really always wanted to be a mom, um, was always around kids. And I uh, always wanted to be a teacher. I was very, very close to my grandma, and she was a teacher and actually started the first preschool in um, outside of Hartford, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, back in the day, back in the early 70s. And so I was the benefit of all her love, but also her professional endeavors as well. <laughs> Wow. So that's a fascinating background. And I'm intrigued by the foster siblings you spoke about. Tell me, what was the impetus for your family to take on all of these foster children? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, again, that was over the years, not at one time. We generally had three extra kids in the house at a time. So my dad was a police officer and had a super big heart. And so he, it started out with actually teens. They had the option of going to juvenile hall or going into a foster home. And it wasn't so common back then to go into foster care. So he would you know, come home and say to my mom, I think we should take this um, child in, this teen in. And a couple of times they were cousins. And so it was family related a couple of times. And my mom really also loved kids. It got a little tricky. I'll, you know, just be super honest. My mom had bipolar disorder and was on, and that was untreated. Of course, that was also common back at that time. And we did also didn't know as much as we know. Um, today. So uh, they both had big hearts for children and opened up our home to, you know, to bring those kids in so that they could feel the love and support that they needed and also navigate uh, what was going on. And I think that's when I first started to see what happens when you don't get exactly what you need. And sometimes parents just aren't able to give what they need, maybe even just at a certain time. So I think my eyes started to be open then to that, which completely relates to my career trajectory and where I am now. So, and I would say that there wasn't always external or extended family support of that. I think sometimes people thought, oh, this is maybe a little bit much. And maybe sometimes it was, but that's how families go sometimes. <laughs> Sure. Well, it certainly makes sense that 
your history and your experiences have informed your work, but also your, I'm sure, parenting. So to get back to your motherhood experiences, you have what sound like some adult children now. I believe I know from speaking with you in the past that they're scattered around um, the country a little bit. Tell me, what do you recall about your pregnancies, your deliveries, and kind of what you would like to have known ahead of those now as a seasoned mom? Yeah, that is a super question. And I had so looked forward to being a mom. And I I was married young, um, like right um, actually before I graduated from college. Neither of my parents went to college, so that was a whole transition as well. And moving away from them was a huge thing. But then uh, I had our son while I was teaching second grade in a Title I classroom, and it was a pretty difficult pregnancy. And I was surprised by that because you just get this, I think you still get this very romanticized version of pregnancy and postpartum and what you're supposed to feel like and look like and do. Um, and none of that actually, I didn't find any of that true. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought it was amazing, but I ha- yeah, had a very difficult pregnancy, um, very difficult delivery. After I had my son, I had a lot of guilt feelings because I didn't think I wanted to go through it again. And so I wrestled with, I want more children, but I, hmm, how can I get one here without all that? (laughs) Um, So I actually pursued some counseling through the university and, and, and that was accessible to me, which I'm very thankful for. Um, I did experience postpartum depression, I would say related to the recovery and just the finding out um, you're exhausted and your your body is going through this hormonal plunge. Um, and at five, when my son was five weeks old, I needed to go back to work because I was the breadwinner. And my husband was still finishing up his PhD. We had all our, our insurance through me. So that was a huge reality. Fortunately, my husband was able to take care of Sam while I went back to work. But that was a huge adjustment and I think contributed to some of my depression. You know, and that was my experience. Other people may do that and and that is good for them. I never, I'm never bringing judgment on anybody else's experience. Um, and then we moved, um, we had moved out to the Midwest for his graduate work. And then we moved um, to PA, to Pennsylvania. Um, and he started teaching and I, began working, uh, coordinating a mother center, which was really excellent. Um, I loved that it, I, I went there cold Turkey. I didn't know anybody. Um, and so coming off of teaching in a title one classroom, I had learned that if you want to affect change in a child's life, you, uh, need to get to their parents. Um, so then going, um, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is kind of idyllic, um, setting to raise our kids, which is where we lived for 27 years. Um, That mother center opportunity introduced me to group work. We had a hundred moms and I would say it was a little avant-garde in that we were talking about feelings. We were talking about validating feelings and um, 
some of us had made choices to stay home for a while. And this was the big mommy wars time. It's on the cover of Time magazine. And so we were wrestling with these choices and judgments that were um, actual or perceived. Um, And so that was a very formative time for me. And my um, degree and area is early childhood development and elementary ed. So that fits squarely in there. And we had discussions, you know, just about how do we maintain our identity? How does our identity evolve? Um, what happens in our marriages when we have kids? So I feel like we were talking about some really um, important things. We offered child care within there um, from, from members but we had a childcare philosophy, um, and that really uh, introduced me to things that I still use today in my career and used all through my mothering, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk, Faber and Mazelish, um, and then positive discipline from Jane Nelson and siblings without rivalry, again, Faber and Mazelish. So really classic pieces Um, that we were weaving into our lives as we were living these lives. Um, And then I was doing some lactation consulting. In this time, I had um, our two daughters, um, pretty quick succession. So I had three and a half years between Sam and Elise, and then two years between Elise and Julia. And again, better pregnancies, but rough deliveries. So, uh, you know, that was... That was hard for me to take because I'm like, wait, I should have been able to do better. <laughs> um, so wrestling with thoughts like that. Um, so, yeah, I was uh, really passionate about the lactation consulting and I'm not a nurse. Um, so this was a, as a lay position um, that I went in and I especially worked with C-section moms because that was my experience um, and moms of twins because generally they're having C-sections. And I found that that was a really great way to connect with folks and living in a farming community in Lancaster, you would think, oh, breastfeeding is really um, common. And interestingly, uh, in a farming community, breasts are for sex. So they're not they're not for breastfeeding, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so. This is new information to me as well. Exactly. Yeah, then I evolved into doing group work with teens and parents because that's a time when marital satisfaction and parenting satisfaction dips. Um, and so as my kids were getting older, I was excited to move into that work and started directing a family life education department, um, delivering evidence-based um, programs, uh, working with teens and their parents, and just finding that it's the same thing as with littles. It's um, it's expressing love and setting limits. Like that's the deal uh, all the way through. Uh, and then after that, as my son went off to college, that's a huge transition point in motherhood. Um, and just going back to the early days, that's really how we framed everything back at the Mother Center, transitions. And that's what it's all about. And I had no idea what it was going to be like. Uh, I was petrified to send my son off, not because of worries about how he would do. It's like t- taking a limb off your body. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So 
So then I moved to a large behavioral health center and worked in um, development and obtaining grants to do the work. Uh, so people didn't have to pay for the services if they weren't able to. So I would say my focus all throughout has been perspective taking from the eyes of a child and family cohesion and um, healthy attachment. And if it doesn't happen early, it can happen later, which leads me, you know, where I am now yeah. with Hope and Emily Jacks. Yeah. So you have had quite a journey. And there are so many pieces to your story that are relatable and also really uh, cool that you (laughs) have taken on. And it's kind of like talking to a pioneer in (laughs) all of this maternal mental health stuff with your work at the Mother Center. And it is and was ahead of its time uh, since we don't even have that across the country uh, in a widespread way at the moment here in 2023. So I would, again, applaud your uh, pioneering ways there. Um, I want to go back to your experiences as a mom. And I heard you talk about some of the feelings of guilt and maybe worry about having a subsequent child after your son was born. And I think that's super relatable, particularly if you've had challenges or deliveries were traumatic. And I'm wondering for you, what was it that shifted uh, and allowed you to move forward uh, to subsequent pregnancies? Yeah, that's a super great question. Um, a definitely therapy was a was a part of that for me. Being a part of the mother center and also having that group aspect um, and taking part as a leader um, also helped me work through that. So it it really helped me do my individual work, and then it it allowed. Um, me to feel, well, this is somewhat normalized, right? That you can feel that this is a norm because other people are feeling this. It's just, we don't talk about it. Um, And this was back in the nineties. So it was, it was definitely ahead of its time, especially I think in that part of the country, the other piece that allowed me to move forward was growing with my son. It's experiencing the world through the eyes of that child and the experiences of that child, um, I really desired that again. And I thought, okay, I lived through that. <laughs> I can probably live through it again. Unfortunately, you know, when I had my girls, it it was both of those deliveries were also traumatic in their own ways. And I really never thought I would have another one after my daughter. Um, but then I did. <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, and I, you know, I realized, yeah, there's really only two ways to get these babies out. And, uh, yeah. So, and I will say, I don't think there's anything that's probably TMI and talking about this. I did have a V back with my, with my daughter, my second child, which was very traumatic. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think having going through that and, and really remembering very vividly the feelings of failure, right? When like 
millions of women get these babies out. And, but then we also have to remember there are many women who didn't, right. They didn't have healthy babies, um, as a result of not having interventions that we have. Um, but unfortunately I had a doctor the second time who's like, no, we're down the road of a VBAC. This is what we're doing. Um, so sometimes you don't have control over, um, your own choices in these matters, but I, I definitely savored every stage. I do not find the twos to be terrible, um, nor do I find the threes to be terrible. Um, I loved having teenagers. It's all about, um, we say know what to expect, but I think it's more about knowing yourself and knowing your child and how do you connect and how can you connect? But I really found so much joy in having my son. And it also goes to having a really incredible husband and partner who really partnered in the parenting. Um, and we were also committed to keeping our relationship strong. And I think that made a big difference um, in how I experienced motherhood. And then I would just say I felt very open to having another child. And then I experienced some difficulty having mm -hmm. another child and felt the guilt of, oh, my bad feelings are now going to make it such that I won't have another one. So we really do have a lot of internal um issues that we deal with, either we deal with them or we don't. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was fortunate to be able to have friends and a therapist and groups that I could talk to um, and a partner who I could talk to about these things. Yeah. It sounds like having all that support was really valuable and also helpful in just that transition from being a non-mom to a mom, which I heard you say doesn't really always get normalized all of the challenging moments or the kind of idyllic movie version isn't the reality. So it becomes really tricky. I'm glad that you had that support. One thing that I it was, keeps running through my head as we're talking is you're clearly an expert on parenting, attachment, early education. And I'm wondering, how did you deal when things didn't go well with parenting because yeah. you just have to think you're a human in addition to being an expert. And I'm wondering yeah. what that was like for you. Yeah, that is, that's also a super question. Yeah, no, I'm human. I made mistakes. Um, and I think the big thing for me was being able to admit that I had made a mistake. I am very, I have always been in very big on owning your mistakes um, in any realm of my life. So I did that with my kids. So even when they were too little to understand, you know, possibly they did, possibly they didn't, but getting down face to face and, um, you know, just let's say I yelled um, at Sam, I would just get down and say, I'm, you know, mommy's really sorry. I should not have done that. And then um, just saying, you know, next time I'm going to try to do this. So it's part, it's owning, but it's partly modeling what I would want him to do. And he was very, very high on the activity scale. 
And um, so I was tired a lot, even with one child. Um, and people would say, oh, you just have one. It's like, yeah, okay, well, I will let you stay here for the day. And then you tell me how you're doing. <laughs> um, it's tiring. And, but I did have a very clear idea um, because I had all this um, intellectual piece about mothering. I had a very clear idea of how I was supposed to be as a mom. You can't possibly do that all the time. So you have to know that you have to go easy on yourself when you do make a mistake. But as soon as possible, you need to get yourself calm and regulated and you need to get down on your child's level and make an apology and have it be genuine. Um, that is just so important. And to this day, I will apologize to my children or apologize to my spouse, apologize in a work setting, right? Sometimes we're not regulated in a work setting. Something just, you know, hits our, hits us in the wrong way. Um, and yeah, I've had to apologize, uh, and then not do it again. Well, I think that that's, again, quite relatable. And as a person who works with a lot of moms, uh, I hear about so much mom guilt and shame. And mm -hmm. generally speaking, the folks that I'm working with, they kind of know the quote unquote right way to parent. And yeah. we all lose it from time to time. Yeah. And so I'm hearing you talk about how healthy repairs can help maintain that secure attachment. I'd <laughs> love to hear from you what your perspective and TBRI's perspective is on attachment. And mm -hmm. what do we do if we notice, man, we were brought up in a family where the attachment style wasn't as secure as I would like it to have been. Now mm -hmm. what? Right. Yeah. So attachment, we can make it complicated, but I think we can make it very accessible. And attachment is really the dance that we do with our child. Um, sometimes we'll hear people say, well, it's the child's job to bond with us. That's not true. It's the onus is on us. And um, we're the directors of the dance. So what that means is the our babies show us a need. They can show us by crying. They can show us by cooing. If they coo, they want some attention. And what they really want is connection. Babies are born with the need for connection. So it's not really attention seeking, it's connection seeking. So that's the first piece. And then after that, they've got several different cries. We get to learn them. And that goes back to knowing your child. So we go through the steps. Are you hungry? We can tell if they're rooting, right? So we can we can take care of that. And then you're still crying. Maybe you're wet. Then you're still crying. You might be tired. So I'm going to give you some vestibular stimulation, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if you can go to sleep. Um, and we're doing that for them because we're giving them our regulation skills. They don't. They're not born with the capacity to do any um, self regulation. And that's sometimes where the thinking goes sideways, right, in terms of attachment. So we then are responding to their cues. And when we respond to their cues, we also need to do it in a warm way. So we can't just change the diaper. 
We can't just give a bottle or give the breast. We can't just rock them to sleep and or and put them in the crib. We need to make sure we're connecting and we're doing it in a warm, responsive way, which we means we need to be available or whoever is the primary caregiver that at that time needs to be available. And I want to be clear in saying that baby bonds with, with multiple people, it's not just mom and it's important. So we meet that need or we don't. And so let's say we don't, let's say the dance is disrupted. Let's say I'm really off that day and I can't respond. So I'm just going through the motions or I'm dealing with something and I'm speaking harshly to the baby or I'm not even going in the room to deal with it because I don't, I feel I don't have the capacity. Um, so the dance is disrupted. At that moment, if someone feels that they can't keep the dance going, that's the time, that's when the red flag goes up. I need help, right? I need to reach out to somebody and say, I can't do this right now. And we should never feel shame about that. What we don't want to do is stay in the disrupted dance cycle, which is still a cycle, although disrupted, because that baby is going to start to learn, you're not available. I'm not, I don't think I'm lovable. Um, my needs aren't going to get met. And so then we have things like failure to thrive um, and learned helplessness, right? So keeping that dance going, how many opportunities do we have in the first year? About 100,000. Second year, same. Third year, same. So in the first thousand days, we have 300,000 approximately opportunities to keep the dance going. And that is on us and the other people that we have entrusted our child to, um, their care to um, throughout the day and night. So we need to keep in mind that this is not just attention seeking, it's connection seeking, and that's healthy. And that's what we're born for. And when we know that we can't keep the dance going to reach out for help and if we know that we've had a disrupted cycle in those first thousand days, we have a chance to redo that later, um, but intentionally with high warmth um, and high responsiveness. So I think that captures everything that is that really matters in that. If the most important thing is when we are not able to keep up our part, that's when we need to reach out to someone. And if you see someone who's not able to keep up their part, then reach out and say, don't say, hey, um, you're not doing your mom job very well, or you're not connecting very well. Just reach in and reach out to that mom, but also reach out to that baby. Um, because sometimes... We may know what to do. Sometimes we may not know what to do. If, you know, you talked about what do we do if we didn't have the attachment, um, stop, we didn't have secure attachment growing up. And uh, because my mom um, suffered from a mental illness, that is one of the aces we talk about. She wasn't always able to keep the dance going. So I had to go back and do work and do work on becoming earned secure, which is what we talk about 
um, which is it's not easy work. It has to be intentional work. You always have to have another trusted adult in your life in a trusting relationship to do that work. So you can do that work with a child if they're four, if they're 12, if they're 20, you can do it with someone if they're 40 or 50. It just, but it's, it's something that's intentional and that's repair, right? Yeah. So I think there is a lot of optimism when you hear the concept of earned security. And Mm -hmm. I also like how you're talking about one pulling out if you can't keep calm during these opportunities for these connections. And I think it's a really good idea to consider this even outside of those first formative years when you have a toddler who's tantruming or a, in my case, an eight-year-old who's screaming, um, what, you know, that connection piece is a great way to kind of move through all of this. So Hope and Healing Jacks, I know there are some really great resources for our community to learn more about attachment, to learn more about early education and support for moms and families. Tell us the best way to connect. Yeah. And it is about connection throughout your child's whole lifespan. So it's something I'm intentional about now with a 33-year-old, a 30-year-old, and a 28-year-old who are scattered, you know, across the country. So it is throughout throughout your relationship. That's what I'll say. Um, It's about connection and that, that always matters. So you can go to our website, and it um you can you can dig in as much or as little as you want. Um, there's a lot of information on the website. But the most important thing, if you'd like to take part in one of our trainings, we have a six hour training that I know you've been through, Jill. Um, and you can take that virtually um, for no charge. There are also things that we offer in the community in person if you'd rather be in person. Again, you just go to our website, look at our training calendar. The website is very easy to navigate. It's hopeandhealingjacks.org. And we are able to offer that through our generous funders, um, Kids Hope Alliance, Partnership for Child Health, DCPS. Um, We have have multiple different funders um, that allow participants to take part in this at no charge. And, um, and sometimes it's through your own entity for like, for you, it's um, Baptist health. So that's really, um, we love that. And there are all, there's a resources page where you can just click on a video and look at something about serve and return, which is one of my huge passions to talk about, as you know, Jill. Um, And you can just learn a little bit more about that dance, about eye contact, about loving, warm responsiveness, and how much that changes our brain architecture. Like we haven't even touched on that, but of course this all leads to healthy attachment, leads to healthy brain development, which leads to healthy relationships, which allows us to function in this world in a meaningful way. So yeah, I would love for people to check that out. You can reach out to us for designated trainings. We leverage our grant funding as much as possible um, to bring trainings to organizations when they don't have a training line item. So we are we're very excited um, to share all of this because 
the feedback that we get is this was a game changer. I didn't really have the modeling um, that I needed. I love my parents. They did the best they could, but I didn't really have exactly what I needed. And now I know what I, what I can do. Yeah. So very well said and what a great resource and the no cost piece is huge and helps with all the barriers there. And just to clarify, you don't have to be a psychologist or a therapist. You can be a mom, you can be a dad, you can be a caregiver or an interested consumer. We train all adults who are in the lives of child and parents are a huge part of our mission um, because some, the best way to say it is sometimes we didn't get what we needed and it's not blaming or shaming our parents. It's just saying we all do the best that we can. Uh, and so sometimes that means, uh, we can learn some things to do better. That's all. And we can all use support. Um, we can have a lot of head knowledge, but, and that's why I'm always happy to share that, I think therapy is a great thing. Therapy is not something everybody has access to. And so these trainings allow some knowledge and processing and strategies and practicing. I think about how you're saying people don't have access to therapy all the time and how everyone's doing the best they can. And people don't come to the table with knowledge and experience on this, the vast majority of people around healthy attachment. And I would love to see it be part of just the standard curriculum of life, but it sounds like that's what you guys are doing. That's our mission. We we really hope to touch everyone in Jacksonville and further out, you know, to ripple that out um, so that I, I will say this, we've had folks in class with their PhDs, but if you have a PhD in engineering, you have not gotten this. Uh, so you can be very educated in different areas and really, I'll, I will say it this way, not have the first idea about healthy development because it's its own field. You do not have to be clinical to access this. This is very approachable and positive and strength-based and trauma-responsive. I love all the uh, features of it all, and you're clearly knowledgeable and passionate on the topic. And so thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences and your wisdom on these topics. But before we go, you mentioned three grandchildren with one more, it sounds like, on the way. Yes. Tell us a little bit of a nugget or two on what grandparenting life has been like. Yeah, um, it is absolutely incredible. And like I said, I enjoy, I loved every stage of mothering and this is just times a million. Um, and it's not because I can give them back because I don't ever want to give them back. <laughs> um, you know, we, we make an effort to see them. They, they live in New York and Rhode Island and DC. So we make an effort. We see them about every two to three weeks. We were just with everybody this past weekend for a family wedding, and it was an absolute blast. Um, it is incredible um, to see my own children as parents. Um, and it's also incredible to have these individual relationships with my grandchildren. Our oldest granddaughter, Cecilia is three and a half. And 
We um, we FaceTime every day, uh, and the American Association of, Association of Pediatrics does allow that. No screen time until two, but you can FaceTime with your grandparents. Um, <laughs> you read books over FaceTime. They have books and and stuffed animals and loveys at their house that we have here, and we'll get that all set up. But it's incredible to see them. You know, they're they're born with their own little personalities, just like my kids were. And I love seeing those personalities emerge. And um, the connection piece is just super important. And and I will say this: um, I got a video from my daughter-in-law of our uh, little two-year-old. She turned two yesterday, Eleanor. And she, when I put them to sleep, I sing, you are my sunshine and just hold them and kiss them and say, I love you. It's time to go to sleep. And I say, you're learning how to go to sleep, you know, think because now we're teaching them how to go to sleep right at this, at this age. And my daughter-in-law sent me a video of Eleanor with her new baby doll and her new crib for her birthday. And we had just seen them over the weekend and she's singing, you are my sunshine and giving her a little kiss on the head, putting her down, shaking the blanket out, giving her a pat. Um, And so it's, it's incredible. And I never imagined it could be this incredible uh, that it could be even better than having your own kids. Uh, And then our little, our littlest Annalise is um, 18 months old and she's expecting a new baby sister in February. So um, it's incredible to see them together. I love being with them individually. Um, They all seem to take after my son high on the activity scale. (laughs) So I love that too. But just knowing that they're exploring the world and seeing that afresh is, is just incredible. That's really cool. Well, Kirsten, you were so nice to take time out of your busy life and day to talk to me. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was a pleasure, Jill. Yes. Thank you so much.